I hope that you are excited about 2021. I know that I am. I hope that you're excited about what God wants to do in your life. I hope that you are thinking about that, that you're anticipating that, that you're even preparing yourself and saying, God, what might you want to teach me? God, how might you want to grow me? And guys, I'm just going to say to you, we have a great year of teaching that we're preparing for you. As this year, we just want to walk you through the scriptures, and we want to cover lots of topics that affect our lives, but also affect the lives of others. Now, Pastor Kyle read this great passage in the Bible, and it's important for us because the passage that he read out of 1 Peter is about the church, and it's about the nature of the church. It's about you, and it's about me. And when I read it, I get excited about what North Point can be when I look at this. And we talk about being the people of God. What is it possible for us to be? Now, the text that he read and the text that we're going to look at over the next four weeks, it really is out of 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3. We're going to be pulling from various themes and concepts that you see in that letter. I'd encourage you to read it on your own. But what we're looking at today really stretches all the way back to verse 4. And if you went all the way back to verse 4, you'd see that the Bible, Peter, gives us three images. Now, the first image of the church is that it's a temple, that it is a spiritual house. The second image we just read, in fact, let's look at it again. It says, but you are a chosen people. Notice, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, it says, that you are a people belonging to God, that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, the third image begins here in this next line. Take a look at it. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now, guys, this is a critical thing for you and me. Because what Peter is ultimately saying, in spite of what some progressive churches, or I want to say, in spite of what some quote-unquote progressive churches or teachers might teach today, Peter is saying that God actually has a distinctive plan for how he wants you and I to live. It's not just anything goes. In fact, he says, as we go on in the text, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they would see your good deeds and they would glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, that's why in this series throughout the entire month, we're going to be talking about how you and I practice faith in such a way that even cynical people, even people who don't want anything to do with the church or Jesus Christ, that they could look at you and they could say, man, he or she is genuine. 
man, they, they really mean it. They really believe it. You can tell by the way that they live. That's really what this series is all about because the world watches you and me. And I hope that you're wondering, how is this year going to look different in my life? How am I going to live for Jesus in new and in fresh ways? Now, guys, what Peter is talking about here, it has implication for your family life. It has implication for your public life. It has implication for your political life, your personal life, for all of your life. And so we're going to cover all of these areas, all the domains of a person's life throughout the next few weeks. Now, what I want to do today is I just want to focus scripturally on this second image here. Now, recently, Pastor Ronnie, you, you don't know this, but Pastor Ronnie behind the scenes, he's been, on, he's been working on something for our staff. And uh, he'll be reminding all of our staff team that all of them need to have a current job description on file. Now, think about job descriptions for just a minute. When you're writing a job description, and I've written dozens of job descriptions, most job descriptions always have three things attached to it. You have to talk about the job's status, number one. Number two, you have to talk about the job's character or the qualifications. And number three, you've got to talk about the duties. So we're going to go through each of those just one by one. In fact, what I'm going to have you do is, I'm going to have you just fill those in. So go ahead and do that, all three of them real quick. We're going to talk about the status of what the priest is. The priest, you'll see, is one who gets access to the center. We're going to talk about the qualifications of a priest, that the qualifications of being a priest is holiness. And then we're going to talk about the duties of the priest are. That the duties of the priest are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices, holy to the Lord. Now, look at 1 Peter. I said it stretches all the way back to verse 4. Take a look at it. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. That was that first image. To be a holy priesthood, the second image, offering spiritual sacrifices, there it is, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, again, look at those three one more time. Make sure that you have them written down because I'm giving them to you up front. And uh, you can go ahead and take a look at those if you'd put those on the screen for me there. And let's go through them. And I want to talk about what this means. So we're going to talk about uh, being you and what God's called you to. So first of all, number one, if you remember, the priest is someone who gets access to the center. Now, what does that mean? Someone who gets access to the center. What is it about a priest? Look at verse four. It says, as you come to him. You see, a priest is someone who, first of all, has access to God's face, a priest is someone who has access to God's presence. In other words, a priest is someone who gets access, you see here, on the inside. Now listen, guys. This is the central wonder of the gospel. This fact right here is that you and I as Christians get access to God in a way that non-Christians don't. Believers get access to God in a way that non-believers don't. Now what's Peter doing here? Peter is drawing from an, from an image from the Old Testament Hebrew priest that served in the temple. In fact, he looked like this guy. 
He, he, was, he, he looked like this, he was dressed up, and, and he should be dressed up. Because, of course, you think about it, the priests were exclusive. The, not everybody was a priest. The priest was a very specific calling. And think about this, if you were invited to something exclusive that only you and you got into, if you were one of the select few that was invited to the inside, you'd be dressed up. Now, you're not going to look like this. Maybe you'd look more like this. I mean, you just think about all the great cultural events and all the exclusive parties of the world, the dinners, whatever. What do you do when you go to something exclusive is you dress up. Why? Well, the reason that you dress up, the scripture's showing us here, is because you're getting into the center. Now, of course, for peace, for priests, excuse me, if you go, let's just go back to these guys for just a minute. If you'd go ahead and put them on the screen for me. The priests of the Lord, see, they didn't just go before the Lord with jeans and sneakers. No, the priests wore the most beautiful, gorgeous outfits in the whole country. In fact, these outfits were really symbolic. In fact, let's just zoom in on this guy here for just a minute. The priest that would come before the Lord that Peter's referencing, he wore a very specific turban. He wore a breastplate with 12 stones on it that you see there, and these were precious stones that were made. Of course, the drawing doesn't do it justice because these guys, it was just beautiful. They had a girdle. They had what was called an ephod. They had a beautiful robe. They had a fine linen tunic. Symbolic to be able to get in on the inside, just like, just like a tux is a symbol or just like you dress up for a big interview. And very few priests got to get in to see God. Now, by the way, this is where they got to go. Go ahead and just take a look at uh, this next picture here. They got to go to the temple. Now, you can't really tell from this picture, but this would have been what the first century temple looked like when Peter was writing. And this temple was huge. For example, here it is today. Get a modern look at uh, this next one. You'll see here, this is of course, in modern Jerusalem. And this is the Temple Mount, and it's occupied by a Muslim mosque today. But of course, in the first century, it wasn't. So this is going back to the first century here, this picture. And to give you an idea of just how big it is and how enormous this thing was, if you just go zoom out view here, you just compare the temple to the size of Jerusalem. Now, you're seeing the city back in the background there. Many, many houses and businesses and homes. And look at the square footage that just the temple base occupies and the temple itself occupies. And here's another view of it. Here's a little closer view of that temple, specifically where the priest got to go in. And so if you look at the temple, what you've got is you've got a grid that looks sort of like the one that's coming up here. You've got this uh, outer court. You've got this inner court. And then you've got the Holy of Holies where the priest got to go. And it was in the Holy of Holies that God's presence was most experienced. In fact, if I could just give you another view of this thing, if let's just go to a street level view, as if you were walking up to the Holy of Holies and you want to talk about getting to the center. Now again, this is the image that Peter is drawing on. You've got to understand this. This is what Peter has in mind. And then if I were to zoom out, if you could take a look inside the Holy of Holies and see on the inside, there was this long curtain 
At the crucifixion of Jesus, when it talks about the robe or the curtain was torn in two, at the moment that Jesus was crucified and the presence of God came out into the whole world, you have to understand, this curtain you see that stood 30 feet high into the air that was two feet thick, this is the curtain that was ripped in two. And behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies. And it was in this place where in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was held. And this is where God's presence came down and you met God. And you saw the Lord in ways that nobody else did. And of course, you'll see here, this is where the priests did all of their work, where the Ark was. Now, guys, you've got to understand this. Behind this great statement where Peter says, but you are a chosen people. He's talking to Christians and he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. In other words, what Peter is saying is, is that Christians get ultimate access. Christians you and me get access to the ultimate inner ring that we get access to God's presence in very distinct ways. It's remarkable what Peter is saying here. And yet, as true as it is, I think that there are lots of Christians that really don't understand the implications of it. Oh, I think that there are lots of Christians that don't get it. They don't even think about it. It doesn't activate or, or work in their daily life. Some people don't even really believe it. And this got me to thinking, why don't people think about this more? Why don't we? What are some of the barriers to why we don't believe it? I just started to think about that. And I just want to give you a few of those reasons. If you would just write these things down, these are the barriers to believe it. Number one, one of the reasons that we don't believe it is because deep down inside, we feel inadequate to actually get in. See, many of us, we've, we've just got this fundamental sense that we don't deserve to give in that we're not good enough to get in. We're dominated by this idea that we're outsiders. And so some of us think God couldn't possibly want us. You may be thinking exactly that way. God couldn't possibly want you. It's haunted you. In fact, you've pushed yourself out because you don't believe that God wants you on the inside. Or here's another reason why we don't, we don't believe it is we get distracted by what I call lesser centers. In other words, because we don't think we're worthy of God or because we're unwilling to approach God, we start, well, we start being on the inside of things that diminish us. You start getting involved in things that diminish you as a person and that aren't worthy of the priesthood that God has called you to or made you to be. And they compromise you these things. They compromise you morally. They compromise you spiritually. They destroy your priesthood. They devastate your life. Guys, I have been astonished in the last two years about how many pastors that are in the public eye, I mean, we're talking celebrity pastors that have followings of thousands and thousands of people, how many of them have been distracted by lesser sinners? They have forgotten their priesthood and they've been carried away into something else. Now, why do we do this? Well, the Bible says it's pretty simple. The Bible says that underneath it all, there is this sense that human beings have that we're on the outside and that we can't get in because it comes from the shut door at the Garden of Eden. That human beings know, whether they have faith or not, that at the deepest level that we're in trouble with God, that's what the scripture says, that we're out of his dinner party, that we're out of his mansion. And we know that. 
We know that he sees our sin. And so we'll distract ourselves with, with lesser things. Or here's the third thing, if you just write this down. It's when you try to make your own sinner. And we do this in all sorts of ways. Some of us, we get defiant. Some of us, we, we act like we don't need to be in. We might even reject God. And I see this, by the way, as a pastor happening over and over again. Out of somebody's own guilt and shame, instead of running to God, they reject God outright because they just don't want to face themselves. <laughs> now, by the way, this polarization, this marginalization, this feeling that you and I have of being on the outside, Sigmund Freud talked all about this. In fact, here's a picture of uh, Freud. And this feeling that people had of being on the outside, he studied it and he said that he thought it came from your parents. He said that the real reason that people feel marginalized psychologically, emotionally, relationally, politically, people feel marginalized, he said ultimately it's because we couldn't get what we needed to please our parents or from our parents. Now, of course, Freud, the guy you see here, was an atheist. And Freud couldn't imagine or conceive that it actually goes deeper than that because, in my opinion, Freud doesn't go deep enough. The Bible says there's a deeper reason than your parents. Now, Freud was right about one thing. He was right about transference. We do begin to project it onto other stuff, our marginalization, that thing that is missing from God. So, what do we do as human beings? What's the cure for that? Well, friends, I just want to say to you, there is a way. And the first step is number one is this. If you just write this down, is it begins with admitting our need. We've got to admit our need. By the way, I even know Christian people that have forgotten how to do this. In their own spiritualism and legalism and arrogance, they come to believe it's all about them and their performance. And they actually start to feel like they don't need God the way that they used to. Now, God says that the first step in relating to me is understanding that you need me, that you can do nothing without me. Somebody asked me, what would keep me from God? And I said, there's only one thing. It's pride. It's your ego. That's the only thing that's going to keep you from knowing God because you've got to be willing to humble yourself. Notice the Bible says right here in verse 5 of uh, 1 Peter, it says, notice, as you come to him, the living stone. You've got to come to him. Jesus Christ, the ultimate high priest. And the scripture says when you end up linking up with him, we become priests. It says you also, it goes on, notice this. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood acceptable to God. Now, by the way, this process, Paul talks about it in the book of Colossians, this thing where we've gone from not having access to the center to now we do. Notice what it says. Paul says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what Jesus Christ did is enough for you? Is what Jesus Christ did enough for me that it takes care of everything, that I have free access to the center, to God? 
You know, in Zechariah 3, there's this amazing vision. The prophet Zechariah has it. See, I just want to give you the background. Joshua, the high priest, is standing before God in filthy clothes. I mean, he sees that he's just covered with excrement. He's covered with feces. And of course, the high priest had to be in the most beautiful, clean clothes to come before God. In fact, I've already, I've already shown you pictures, but they had to go through a ritual, a purity ritual to prepare to go into the center, the presence of God. And Zechariah now here is ultimately demoralized because he looks at himself and he's filthy. What's he going to do? And there's the devil accusing him, pointing out his filth. Who could save him? Watch this. It says, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Now, friends, what Zachariah is trying to say is that's the picture of every Christian right there. That's it. In fact, if you just write this down, the key is linking up with Jesus. And because he makes you right with God, you get in on the inside. And then write this down. Here's what happens. You start getting into his heart. You see? Now through Christ, you have peace with God and you start to get into his heart And by the way, he gets into your heart. Oh, guys, it is the most amazing thing. You've got to understand this. In fact, you know, there is this uh, old George Herbert poem, and it's just so wonderful. I, I, I know, you guys know, I like reading old stuff. And so you've got to bear with me here, and you've got to indulge me. I mean, take a look at that good looking guy. He had some things to say here. But look at what he says, this poem. He says, with one small smile, Thou gavest me the other day, I blasted all the joys about me, and scowling as they pinned away, now come again, said I, and flout me. Okay, isn't that that great? We don't talk like that anymore, but I want to read that one more time, because this thing is deep. Look what he says. With one small smile thou gavest me the other day, I blasted all the joys about me, and scowling as they pined away, Now come again, said I, and flout me. Now what does flout mean? Flout means to reject somebody or to dismiss them, to disregard. You know what he's saying here? He was a believer. You know what he's saying? It's old English. And he says, you gave me a smile. I got that smile yesterday. And he says, well, anybody who thought I didn't belong... He says, now your smile has changed all that. Now, friends, listen to me. You've got to get this. You've got to understand this principle. One of the things that happens when you understand your priesthood is you say, Lord, now I know that I have the right to get on the inside into your heart. Lord, now I know that I have the right 
to sense the same love from you that you give to your son. I actually have a right to that because you've smiled on me. And now it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Now listen to me. That's the status of the Christian. He says, now come again, said I and flout me. Who cares what anybody else thinks? That's what you are in Christ. Now I've spent most of the time on that. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. But that's the first part of the job description. Let's cover the rest. You ready? We're going to go into detail on the next couple in the next couple of weeks. But the second part of the job description is the qualifications. And you remember it's holiness. Now what is holiness? I would define it this way, what you see on the screen. Holiness is the kind of character that flows from being on the inside. In other words, because you know you're in the center, because you know you're in, there's a certain way that you begin to act. Now, it's not a legalism, but it's an incredible sense that you get when the smile of God hits you. You start to understand that because of Jesus, I have a right to that. And you start to say, so now I want some more of that, please. And what do you do? Well, come on, friend. Like any priest, you begin to dress for the occasion. Let's look at it again. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. Once, in verse 10, he says, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and as strangers in the world, Abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. Do you see? This is the kind of character that flows from knowing your end. It's the kind of moral character. It's the kind of being and style that you have. Because why? Because you want to be who God says you already are. Now, we're going to talk more specifically on holiness and how that works next week. But for now, let me just give you the next two characteristics of being a priest. And uh, we're going to talk about these because these things are mirror images of each other. The priest is someone who is characterized, first of all, by a praising spirit instead of an irritable spirit. If you just write that down, because that's what holiness begins to look like in your life. Write it down. You begin to have a praising spirit instead of an irritable spirit. And then let me give you the second one, and then I'm going to talk about him here. And second, you develop a repenting spirit instead of a defensive spirit. A repentant spirit instead of a defensive spirit. Now, guys, this, if I were to summarize holiness in a couple of ways, these, these would certainly be a couple of them. Now, let's go back to that first one. A praising spirit instead of an irritable spirit. In other words, first of all, because you know you're on the inside, because you know you're in the center, you see things through the lens of God and his sovereignty. And you know what? You can praise God through anything. I've seen that from believers all year long. With all that's happened in 2020, I've seen believers with spiritual buoyancy and joy and incredible joy-filled attitudes. Why? Because they've got something working on the inside. This is why James was able to say, notice this scripture, it's so powerful. He says, let it be all joy to you, my brothers and sisters, when you undergo tests of every kind. Because you can handle all of it. Because you've got a praising spirit. That's a powerful thing. Even more incredible is the way you love people. 
people that are really Christians, it changes their life because that very presence that we talked about that was in the Holy of Holies in that temple, the Bible says on the day that Jesus was crucified, the temple curtain was torn in two and God's presence moved out from there. And now it says, you and I are the living temples of God where God makes himself manifest. And suddenly it begins to change you from the inside out. And now the way you love people, well, you're not an irritable person. You're an affirming and praising person. Why? Because you see the people, all people are made in the image of God. It's the Imago Day. I want to give a shout out to Babs and Emma. They taught me that with our Be the Bridge uh, ministry here at North Point Church. The Imago Day that all human beings are made in the image of God. And you see that. And so you're not angry toward people. You don't criticize people. You love people no matter who they are. And by the way, this praising spirit, it changes the way you receive criticism because now you're not all devastated by criticism. You don't have to get all angry. Have you noticed that happening in your life? You don't have to get angry when you're criticized. Why? Because now you've developed, let's go back to the second one. They're mirror images of each other. You've developed what's called a repenting spirit instead of a defensive spirit. Now again, why? Friends, listen to me. Come on. Follow me here. It's because you're secure. You already know you're on the inside. You already know you've got access. You don't, be, you don't need to be upset by everything. God's in charge of everything. And you live for his glory. You can just say, God, I'm coming along for the ride. And you're not defensive because you know God is for you. Why? Because you know you're a priest. You don't need to get rattled. Now, people who don't know this, what happens when somebody makes them angry? What happens when they get criticized? <laughs> they go ballistic. They go crazy. Why? They have a critical spirit. Why? Because they're still insecure. They're still trying to prove themselves. They're still trying to get in on the inside. But not you. Now, I'm just going to ask you, as you think about what holiness is, we're going to talk more about holiness and how it manifests next week, but... Do you have a praising spirit or do you have an affirming spirit? Do you have an irritable spirit? What kind of spirit do you have? Do you have an affirming spirit or an irritable? Where are you? Do you have a defensive spirit or do you have a repentant spirit? I'll tell you what, a priest, he's secure because you've been so freed from that sense of being on the outside. Now, let me give you this third thing. I'm gonna close with this third and then we're gonna be done today. What's the third thing that a priest does? A priest offers up spiritual sacrifices. Remember what Peter said. Peter said you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you ever want to know what the spiritual sacrifices are, what Peter's making reference to, is that the Old Testament priests, they brought bulls and goats and they sacrificed them on the altar. In fact, Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews 13 says, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burnt outside the camp. But then it goes on. 
In the New Testament, it says, but through Jesus Christ, therefore, let us, you and me, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess your name. I like that. What is the fruit of your lips? As you practice faith in a cynical world, and it says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, guys, let me just share these closing thoughts based on these texts here. The priests in the Old Testament had two jobs. First, they were advocates. They came to God on behalf of the people and they really did two things. They led in worship. They were always praising. They were always singing and praying. In fact, write this down. It's come up here. They were taking time for worship and prayer because that's what we do. We take time for worship and prayer and we call on God and we're advocates for other people and we take time to to love people in this way and love God in this way. That's why, by the way, for the last couple of weeks, we've been inviting you to join our prayer force around here at North Point and we have these cards available for you to get. We can get them to you, mail them to you, you and pick them up at the office. They're live here in person. But just reminding you to be praying for everyone in our circle of influence and in our community. It's why, by the way, we've also, we're still distributing to all of our membership and all of our attenders, all the people that call North Point Home, uh, prayer journals. Because we want you to spend time with the Lord daily, calling on his name. Of course, this journal also has a Bible reading plan that will guide you as you begin to go to the center and connect with God. And then you can see that just came up other Bible reading plans, but... The point is, is that there's lots of ways to connect with God and we want you to do that. Why? Because what does a priest do? They offer sacrifices of praise and worship to God. But then the priest does another thing. If you'd write this down. The priest takes care of people in need. Takes care of people in need. The priest would take care of the poor. The priest took care of the weakest people. Now, we're going to talk about this again in coming weeks, but, but just understand that it's the priest's job to take care of the weak and the needy. That's what we do. And you're a priest if you call yourself a believer. By the way, can you see why North Point Church has made the decision from day one that every decision we've made related to COVID and this very, very hard year has been with these things in mind? And I'm just going to say to you, any Christian or any church that doesn't have these things in mind, taking care of the weak and the needy, the people that have needs, devoting themselves to worship and prayer, that is not a church that is operating according to the calling that they've received. Those aren't people that are operating. Now, maybe that's you, maybe that's me, but we need to get that right. Friends, Do you want to be the real deal? (laughs) Do you want to practice your faith in a cynical world in such a way that they look at you and they say, man, those guys are for real? Do you want your life to change people? This is the way you do it. Not conforming any longer to the pattern that you see in the world but being transformed by changing the way that you think and letting God begin to do that as he calls you to the center. It all comes out of your identity. 
It all comes out of knowing who he's called you to be. And I pray you know that. Let me just lead us in prayer. And we'll take this to the Father. Lord, thank you so much for how good you are. God, I just ask that you would lead us and teach us according to your ways. The Father, that you would help us to be the people that you have called us to be. And as we kick off this year that... Uh, we would say, Lord, this is going to be the year that we've gotten really serious about you and we've taken your calling seriously. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to live out your five purposes, some of which we've talked about today. Help us to do that effectively. God, I pray for anybody that might be listening to this that they haven't come to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would, I pray they'd investigate that. And I pray that you would enlighten them to knowing you, to walking with you like you have me and so many others. God, we give you the glory and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.